Well, it was a Christmas day in 1849 that a teenage British young lady named Anna married. She chose to be married on Christmas Day. But just a few years later, within that decade, the love of her life died. So she was a widow. And she would remain a widow for many years. But she gave her life to serving and, and teaching. In fact, her services caught the attention of a foreign nation, the nation of Siam. And she would go over there to serve and to teach. And the, she was respected by all. She was a strong woman. The king in Bangkok respected her. And she became one who served in her court for many years and influenced many. There was called Siam in those days. It's called Thailand today. Today it's called Thailand. The relationship between these two was not romantic in real life, but it was made famous in the 1950s Rodgers and Hammerstein Broadway play and the musical The King and I, starring Yul Brenner. Some of you maybe have, raise your hand if you've seen that on TV or play. Many of you have. My high school musical, I remember some of the songs, even those who were performing them, Getting to Know You, uh, Shall We Dance. I remember the king and his accent saying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and everyone laughed at that part. There was a 1999 remake with Jodie Foster and Chow Yun-Fat called Anna and the King. But what I want us to consider this morning is 2,000 years before that, not long after the first Christmas story, there was another young woman named Anna who married as a, a teenager, and, and after just a few years for her as well, the love of her life died, and she was a widow. In fact, she would be a widow for decades. She was a Jewish young woman, not a British young woman. She was a strong woman as well. She was respected by many as well. She influenced many as well, gave herself to serving and teaching as well, and on one occasion, some men from the east came into Jerusalem and said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? In Luke chapter 2, I want us to see when Anna meets this king. Let's look at Luke 2 together, and if you were here with us last week, Simeon, in verse 27, first sees the baby Jesus. He had been revealed to him. He was going to see the Lord's Christ. That's the word for the Messiah King. And then Anna joins in. You can, you can picture Anna with, with joy, maybe even whistling a happy tune, if you will. And maybe even with a, a special joy in this woman's heart because she had been waiting for this king. This is the true story of. Anna and the King of Kings, the, the subtitle of this message could be, What Child Is This? Part 2. I want to read Luke 2, verse 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping, or your Bible may say serving with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, and the idea there is even that very moment, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him, and the hymn is this one Simeon's holding, the newborn king, to all She's speaking of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Isaac Watts wrote a Christmas hymn years ago with these words about the young Redeemer's head. This young Redeemer's head, what wonders and what glories meet. An unknown star arose and led the eastern sages to his feet. Those men we heard about earlier who were on their way. Simeon and Anna both conspired the infant Savior to proclaim. Inward they felt the sacred fire and they blessed the babe and they praised his name. That's what's going on in this passage here in 
Last week, we looked at Simeon and these temple courts in verses 25 to 35. A wonderful story of this man who had been looking for and had been revealed to him. He was going to see the Christ before he, he died. And, and he sees this baby and he says that he's, he's seeing God's salvation. This is what he says in the temple. He says, this is for all peoples. This is a, a glory for Israel, but this is also a light for the Gentiles. This is the one who is the light of the world that Isaiah talks about. He's, he's holding him in his hands and, and he also it's revealed to him that, that he's going to suffer and Mary is going to suffer too. And a sword is going to pierce her through. Nail spears shall pierce him through. So the cross is going to be born for me and for you, Mary. There's going to be special suffering that you have in your heart as you see this. And so this is what's happening. Simeon has this this baby, and as he says that, the text says, Mary and Joseph are amazed. And now, in verse 36, Anna apparently sees the commotion. In that very hour, even that very moment, she comes up and she joins the praise. She starts thanking God, and, and she goes all around speaking to others about the redemption of Jerusalem. To tell them that redemption that we've been looking for is here. I saw it today. Simeon had him, and I got to hold him as well. He's, he's the, the, the king that I met, and he's the redemption of Jerusalem. He's the redeemer for all who will see him as their king. He's just a baby right now, but this is the one we've been waiting for, you could say. So what I want us to see, and this, this is really a, a special scene in the Christmas story, but I want us to see this passage, just these three verses with the, these simple headings. The special character in the Christmas story will be the first thing we look at. The special place that God has for widows and the elderly in verse 37. And then the special ministry that God has for women, for senior saints, and for all. But I want us to just think about this scene a little bit because there's a lot of characters in our, in our Christmas scenes, in our nativity sets that we think about, that we see this time of year. We think of the angels, we think of the wise men, we think of the shepherds, Mary, Joseph, of course, the manger. The animals even tend to get more attention than these two characters. But these, as Luke lays this out, he actually gives more attention to what's going on with this child Jesus in the temple than to all of that. And we need to not miss this culmination, the rest of the Christmas story, the rest of what happens with this child, Jesus. And so just imagine, I'm sure Simeon and Anna knew each other. Anna was well known. She was known as the one who never, seemed like she never left the temple. She's always there serving. Uh, and perhaps Simeon had told her, it's been, God revealed to me that I'm actually going to get to see the Messiah before I die. And so you can imagine Anna, she looks across the temple, she just use your sanctified imagination. Simeon's got this, this, this young, poor couple there. They've got a baby, and Simeon's holding this baby and lifting him up and saying these things. And you, 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 you see Anna come over. She's been looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She also knows other people who have been looking for that. And so she comes and she joins in this scene. This is a very special woman, and there's a, a special way she's described in verse 25. If you would... Just keep your Bible open and look down there. It says, and there was a prophetess. That's not a word we have seen very often in the Bible. In fact, in the Old Testament, so over a period of 4,000 plus years, there were only three who were actually given that title. There's Miriam, there's Deborah, and then there's Huldah who have this same title, prophetess. Only one in the New Testament is given this title. This is a very special title. There's, a, there's someone who claims to be a prophetess, the Revelation talks about, a false prophetess. There were sons of Philip, or I should say daughters of Philip, who, who prophesied. But this description is very unique, and it's, it's, I think, an extra special mention here when we consider that there had been no prophets for a long time, male or female. It had been more than 400 years and when the temple had been rebuilt 400 some years earlier, prophecy was one of those things that the rabbis recognized is not here anymore. They, they recognized it had ceased. Now, here's an ancient rabbi when he wrote, From the days that the sanctuary was destroyed, so this is in 
700 some BC. Prophecy has been taken from the prophets. Many believe the Holy Spirit, or the, the spirit of the prophecy is, is one thing which the second temple did not enjoy. So around 400 or so BC, from that point on, this, this writer is saying, that the temple rebuilt, but the prophecy that we had before is not something that's happening in the temple. And so this is, a, a, and even the Holy Spirit, they recognize the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of prophecy is, is not something that we have, have seen yet. And so this is a special moment, this is a special character, because in verse 27, if you look at it, the Holy Spirit is active and at work in the temple again in this scene. And prophecy in verse 36 is there again, because it says, there was a prophetess. And, and what's striking also is that God has passed over the ungodly men who were leading Israel at this time. And this first one who's described this way is a godly woman who God has chosen to be his prophetic proclaimer about redemption in this Jesus, this Messiah. She's the, the first one that's mentioned this way, but the prophets like Joel had prophesied, Joel 2 said that in the, in the later times that God was going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And it says young and old and men and women would prophesy. And this is kind of a little preview of what is to come later. And we see that more later after this, but Malachi, the last prophet, and if you go to Matthew and then right before that, we have Malachi. This is one of the, the prophecies he gives as the Old Testament closes. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then Malachi writes his prophecy, and that's what the last book of the Old Testament says. As the temple's being rebuilt, but then prophets and prophecy for more than 400 years ceases. And, and there is the Lord, his messenger of the, of the new covenant, has not come and they're looking for him. When is he going to come? It said he's going to suddenly come, those who are seeking for him. He's going to one day suddenly appear. And, and so we find Simeon in verse 25. He was seeking the Messiah. He was looking for the, he's called the consolation of Israel. And, and verse 38, Anna, there were others looking for this, this redeemer of Jerusalem. And this day, suddenly he comes. This is, a, this is a very special moment when he shows up. Joel said both men and, and women would prophesy, and young and old. And, and that begins here in Luke 2. There would be more of that in Acts chapter 2. Young and old, men and women, the 120 from the upper room in Jerusalem now are are prophesying, speaking of the mighty words of God, and as Malachi said, they would delight in this one. You see Anna's and Simeon's delight in this messenger, and this one who has come, who has come to the temple, and Anna gets blessed by God to be the first evangelist of baby Jesus in the temple, right there in the city. There have been some shepherds out in the fields, Bethlehem, probably a lot of people didn't pay attention to, although it, does, they, it says they reported what they had seen to others. But here in Jerusalem now, in the temple, in the center of their worship, this lady, it says, she goes from this scene and she tells all the people who are looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She knows who those faithful ones are. She goes and she tells them. She gets to be the, the evangelist, the, the human announcer to the faithful Jews. There were angels that had come and announced to people in the field, she gets to be the one with this privilege to announce this to others who were waiting for this. So there's a lot special going on in verse 36 when it says, there was a prophetess, Anna. And if you know the word Anna, also the word Hannah in Hebrew, we actually have several Annas and Hannahs here at the church and if you were a parent naming your child Anna or Hannah, you know that word means grace. And, and literally in the Hebrew, the idea there is God stooping to show grace. God coming down, stooping all the way down to show grace, to show mercy. That's the, grace is the undeserved, unmerited kindness or favor 
of God. It's not that we were reaching up to Him. It's that He comes all the way down to us to give us that grace that we didn't deserve and, and we cannot explain or, or merit it. There's no works we can do for this. And if you remember, Hannah was, in the Old Testament, uh, another notable mother who was involved in the dedication of a son in the house of God. You remember that story, 1 Samuel chapter 1. She, she comes, and, and her son Samuel, who God blesses her with a son, God shows grace to her, she has a son that she had longed for. Her son Samuel would be the, the prophet that God would rise up to anoint the, the king of, of Israel. And so Hannah, and, and Anna would, would have been named after her. Anna is just the Greek form of, of Hannah. Anna is here now in Luke 2 as, as another little child is brought to the, the house of God to be dedicated to God. That's what's happening in this passage. And, and, and this one who's coming now is actually going to be the anointed one. He's not just going to anoint someone. He's going to be the anointed one that all those other kings pointed to. He is the, the greater son of David. He is going to be the king of kings. That's who Anna sees here. And so there's a lot going on. And verse 36 says, There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And just as a little aside note, some people talk about the lost tribes of Israel, and there's actually some really weird theology and even some British Israelism and some white supremacist groups that try to claim they're the lost tribes uh, of Israel. But, but they're, they're, the tribes are not lost, and they were not lost, according to Luke and to, to God. The, the tribes, they, they knew their tribes even in this day. And the tribe of Asher is where she was from. Like James 1 could write to the 12 tribes. Acts 26, verse 7, Paul talks about how the 12 tribes to this day are looking for the Lord, Revelation 7, verse 6, mentions the tribes and even the tribe of Asher, 12,000 that will be saved and sealed before the end. So God is not through with any of the tribes. Every tribe and tongue of all peoples around the world there is grace for. But Anna means grace. Phanuel, her father mentions, his name means the face of God. This comes from another Old Testament story where Jacob saw a place that he named Penuel or Fanuel. He saw an, an angel, a messenger of God, and in his own words, it's like he'd seen the face of God and he was able to live and tell about it. And so he named that place Fanuel. And what this shows us is Anna came from a godly family. Her, her father and her grandparents were naming their children after biblical truths. The, the word Asher, the tribe of Asher, actually means happy or or blessed, this is the word when you read in the Psalms about happy or blessed is the one because of God's grace. This is the word here. So this is a this is a special way to describe this special character. Normally in the New Testament, when someone's introduced, they don't give the, the name and the tribe and the the ancestry and, and all that, but we gotta ask, why is Luke pointing these things out to us? Luke normally doesn't do this with others. I think. Luke is wanting us to even notice as this story unfolds these little details that point us to a big God. Even the little things like what their names meant, what their parents longed for them to be. Those things are coming to, to fulfillment, the hopes and the fears and the longing of, of all the years. They're all coming together at this scene. And she's actually experiencing the fullness of what those names meant. Sometimes people would name their children. They wouldn't live up to their names. God is, think about the name Anna. God, by grace, what Anna means, allows this woman to see God's face. She sees the face of God incarnate in Jesus Christ. This baby is God the Son. She sees the face of God and is able to live and tell about it to others and she receives blessing. She is a happy woman in the fullness of, of what Asher means. And she gets to tell others about it. And really this is also a picture of, of what the gospel is all about, even in this brief statement here. It's all about God's grace coming to us who deserve the opposite. 
It's only by God's grace that we are saved, Ephesians says. It's not of ourselves. It's, a, it's the gift of God, not as a result of work. So none of us can boast. You think about the gift of gifts that we give at Christmas. This is the gift that Christmas is all about. It's, a, it's an undeserved, unmerited gift. And if you were giving gifts to someone yesterday and they open it and say, oh, great. Let, let, me, let me pay you for that now. Here, let me pay you for that. Let me, let me work for you for, for a few months. You would be insulted by that. That's not what a gift is all about. And, and people who try to pay God back for his gift or think that they can pay their way or, or by works earn it are re actually rejecting and insulting the one who is offering that gift. But the gospel is all of grace. It's all a gift. And, and even the, the face of God is how Paul would describe when we're saved. That, that we get to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We were once blinded, but, but now we get to see God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We see Him who God became flesh, dwelt among us. We saw His glory, the only begotten Son. We received God's blessing. So there's where that word Asher comes in from the Psalms. Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. Blessed is the one whose, whose lawless deeds are not counted against them. That's what the Gospel will tell us as well, that when we trust in this Jesus as our King, that He's the Master, that He's in charge now, we trust in His life for us, His death for our sins, His rising for us. We can have our sins forgiven if He is our Lord and our King. And it's a blessed thing how happy we should be to have our sins forgiven. So we see even here a hint and a picture of the gospel to come. But I want us to also notice something important here. And that is the special place that God has for widows and the elderly. In the middle of verse 36 says of Anna, She was advanced in years. Having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And so these details also are significant here. Luke is highlighting that this was a, a faithful woman. And in fact, it mentions she was a virgin until she lived with her husband. She was, she was faithful before marriage, and after marriage she was faithful spiritually. It mentioned she was widowed. Most of the Jewish women in those days were, were married in their, in their mid-teens, so she, she was probably in her 20s, and now she's 84 years old. In fact, there's some discussion about whether she'd been a widow for 84 years or till she was 84 it's possible she's even older here, but here we have this woman here who's been faithfully serving the Lord all those years, and now another young woman comes in who's probably 70 years younger than her, Mary, holding this special baby. Just try to, try to imagine this woman who's been serving all those years now getting to be a part of this scene, and, and this shows us God's special place for people like her, this is going to be revealed through Luke's gospel. But God has a special place in his heart for them. And let me just draw your attention to Luke 1, verse 18, where Luke's gospel starts with similar language of Zechariah. Middle of verse 18, he says, I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Luke's gospel begins with God's special favor to this older couple who it also describes as being faithful. And in chapter 2, we don't know how old Simeon was, but it seems like he thinks he's about to die. Maybe even that day he's going. He feels like he can now rest in peace in verse 29. But Anna in verse 36 is called advanced in years. It's kind of a polite way to say she was really old, but you don't say that when someone's really old. You say they're advanced in years. But what we know about her is she experienced the truth of Psalm 146, verse 9. God supports the widow. God sustains the widow. God upholds the widow. And verse 39 says, After this time with Anna, they did all that was in the law. 
And it's the law that tells us how God's law, God's character, God's heart is revealed in his law, how widows and elderly were to be treated. In Deuteronomy 16, it mentions widows were to join families in meals and feasts of Israel. There was to be food provided for to make sure that there were meals and food provided for widows also in Deuteronomy. And that's not just the Old Testament in Acts chapter 6. This was such an important thing to make sure the widows were cared for, that they they appointed seven faithful men to help make sure that wasn't neglected while the shepherds were giving their attention to the, the, the teaching and the ministry of the Word. This is an important ministry. James talks about pure religion in the sight of God involves visiting, caring for widows, as well as those who would be fatherless. God's law provided for those who could not provide for themselves, and, and also just for the, the, the senior among them, the, the elderly among them, Leviticus 19.32 says, Rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. This is a command from God, just like any of those other Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 28.50 speaks of ungodly people who do not respect the elderly. That could be an indictment on much of our American culture, but it, Deuteronomy speaks that those are ungodly people when they do not respect the elderly. In fact, Isaiah 3 prophesied one of the reasons God was going to bring judgment on Israel was because the youth were despising and disregarding the elderly. And they were not pleading for and caring for the widows in Isaiah 1. And so God speaks of His judgment coming. And Isaiah 47 says God is angry with His people who do not treat right the vulnerable. And this is where, as a younger generation, we need to hear these words of God. God's heart has not changed. God's will is still clear. Into the New Testament as well, the younger generation must honor the older. God commands us to honor the senior saint. First Timothy 5 talks about we need to speak to them and about them with respect as well as provide for widows. You can read more. First Timothy 5 takes a big section of the, this pastoral letter to describe this. God has a special place in his heart for them and for widows in particular. And there's some scriptures that we could look at, but verse 37 says, Anna was a widow and, and I want you to notice this special place that she actually had in God's house. She was continually with God's people. The, the language is that she was always in God's house. And, and that could be just an expression that it, it just seemed like she's, she's always there. Some people actually question maybe she actually had a special place where they let her stay. But I don't think we... Make this so literal that she never left the temple, temple grounds because it also talks about her fasting and praying. And we know she couldn't have fasted all day, every day, and continued to live 84 years. So, But I, th I think the point here is that she was marked by these things. Prayer marked her life. Being with God's people marked her life. Look at Luke 7. I want to just trace a little bit more of God's care through... Jesus. There's a moving scene that moved him in Luke 7, verse 12. This is Jesus as a man now. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So, in other words, she'd already lost her husband, and now her only son died, being carried out, he sees the scene. A considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, it says he had compassion on her. He was moved. His, his bowels were moved with compassion. He was, he was moved. He was stirred by this scene. He sees this woman who's lost her husband, and now she's lost her son, and the Lord is moved with, with compassion to her. And if we have the Lord's Heart, we should be moved to action, to care for people who are in need and who are suffering. Our heart should go out to them as well. And even as we, I read some of those things in God's Word, some very practical things like inviting someone over to a, a meal with you. Someone who's more 
alone or who's going through difficult times, just a simple thing of having them over, involving them in other things. Or, or Job said that he had caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. There were ways that he sought to encourage the widows that he, that he knew. And there can be things like a, like a card that you write. I know of a junior high young person who wrote a card to a one of the widows who can't be here very often, and, and I can tell you, I, I know from interacting with her how huge that was for her to minister. Don't underestimate what you as young people can do, even more than some people from the church calling them, what you can do to encourage. And to think about if you have young ones, how you can encourage maybe a specific person. Our girls used to draw pictures and would write little things, and, and I would try to come and encourage them, but I can tell you when I would have one of my little kids with me visiting one of these dear saints, it just, they were, it was okay that I was there, but they were really glad to see the young ones, and when they would sing, I'd make them sing, my kids didn't always like that, but it would, it would liven the countenance of these senior saints, but think about what you can do to encourage and to bless them, and I can tell you as you seek to bless people who are in need, who are suffering, it will bless you in the process as well. And just as a reminder, we have 11 people in our church family who have lost their spouse in 2021. And so this has been the first Christmas yesterday for them without their spouse. We need to think about God's heart for those who have lost their Beloved, and pray about how we can reflect his heart. What's something you can do this week even? Because if we have God in our heart, we should have more and more of his heart. Remember James 1, 27 says, Part of pure, true religion is caring for visiting widows or those who are in their distress. And so if you have a heart to care for or to visit or to or write cards, or just think about what you might do. We, we do have some, you can talk with me afterwards, you can talk with Donna Hall. We have uh, information about some of those people in need, but I want to also give you, uh, for some of you who might want to read more about how you can come alongside comforting those who grieve, ministering God's grace in times of loss. Paul Takis is a biblical counselor. This is designed for those who, not just leaders, but who are, want to give special care and, and really have more of a heart for that. And then Carol Cornish, this is a book written especially by a widow, for a widow, The Undistracted Widow, Living for God After Losing Your Husband. She's also a certified biblical counselor as well through ACBC. But just even just reading her table of contents, I think, is, is helpful for us to think about some of the categories of, of help that can be needed. Identifying yourself anew. Gaining comfort from God's Word. These are some of the chapter titles. Learning from examples of biblical widows. Grieving in a godly way. Managing your emotions. Overcoming loneliness. Facing your fears. Learning and pursuing contentment. Remembering the past while stretching forward. Making important decisions. Numbering your days with wisdom. And then there's, there's an appendix in that book, how to help someone going through that process. And even just that chapter by itself is a copy of that can be helpful. But that word, numbering our days with wisdom, comes from Psalm 90. You, you've maybe heard that psalm where it says, The days of our life are 70 years, or if by strength, 80 years. Anna had even more strength. God was given to her. But this is what it says, Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. I think Anna probably prayed this prayer many times. 70, it's been 80 now. God, help me to number my days. Give me wisdom as to how I can minister, who I can speak to after worship today about the redemption of Jerusalem. Help me to be glad all of my days. Let your favor be upon us, it says, and establish the work of our hands. We need God's help to establish the work of our hands. That was Anna's heart. And God has a special place in his heart for people like her and also a special place in his heart for people to serve. And so I want to move to our last point here. 
and that is the special ministry God has for women and for senior saints and for all people. Because all of us need to see this. In fact, we need to see this by example from you who are, who are older. But this is a ministry for all of us. And if you look back at the middle of verse 37, she didn't leave the temple. She kept on serving God. She kept on worshiping night and day. She, she ministered. And, and notice especially her praying and fasting are what highlighted are highlighted there. She, what that means is she would often go without eating to deny herself and to remind herself to pray for the burdens that were on her heart. So she would go without certain meals and would remind herself for that as she would be reminded, oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I actually need to remind myself. I need to pray. That's what this is about. And what we see from her ministry in this way is she she didn't stay stuck in her sorrow. She didn't stay in her loss. She she moved forward. She moved outward to people. We can move inward in in tough times. I, I know that from experience and from talking with people. But she moved outward. She kept herself moving, doing the the next thing. And she was serving. She was at the house of God when whenever it was open, she was praying. She wasn't consumed with self and, and self-pity. She was, despite her loss, she was cons- consumed in serving others for their gain. She was even denying self, denying her, her physical satisfaction from food, even the opposite of our culture that wants to indulge in everything. She was night and day serving, that's another way to say 24-7, or this was her life. She's, she's there. She, she stays after the times of worship. She prays. She talks with people afterwards. And whenever there was an opportunity for worship that she was physically capable of, there she is. And as she speaks to people, it's, it's not just superficial things. She's speaking of the things of God. She's continually praising God. And, and we can tell she loved to talk about redemption. She loved to talk about salvation. We might say, loved to talk about things of the gospel, what God does for his people. She didn't feel like, I have to go to worship again. She, she felt like, I get to go again to be with God's people today. And I've been so encouraged to see that kind of heart in a number of people. Like Just even thinking through the years of different people who have urged me on and spurred me on like her. I can think of one gal here and an older gal here urging us and the importance even last year of reopening and keeping open our church. And and she said to me, I don't know how many years I have left, but I want to be with God's people for whatever time I've got left. And I could just tell you how touched I was to hear that heart, but also to think of the widows and the widowers who serve us and who bless us here and who do such an important ministry here. And I can't even name all of them, but even just as I I look out here and I think of Dale and Ron and Donna and Bonnie Bosich and Bonnie Orr and and Louise opening up her home, Shirley and Mavis here, and many of you here, I can't name all of you, but you have no idea how much it means to, to see you here, to see you here, Sylvia, this morning, to see you here, Jerry, uh, there in the back, uh, what that means to me, to see you here, to see you with God's people. Uh, and, and we need to encourage them. I also, as I think of this, think of some people where it's hard for them physically to, to be here, and, and for some it makes sense for them not to be here today, or, or to not be able to be here as regularly as they would like, but last Sunday as I saw Wes here, and, and Terry here, and uh, even seeing uh, Janice, uh, seeing Bill Hunkapiller when he's able to be here, uh, just seeing, I, I, again, I can't name everyone, but there's been times, I remember one time seeing a, a lady coming down that walkway there with her oxygen, and she's rolling it. And I just, I was just moved to tears saying how it obviously took her a lot of effort to get here today, but she wants to be with God's 
people. And sometimes there's people who want to be here that can't be here. And so we need to think of them as well and minister to them. But some of the most smiling faces that you've seen in our church have gone through some hard times. And there's things that we can learn from them and hear from them. Like Anna, I think of in the past, Diane Ross. I think of Mina Cameron. I think of Dottie Gardner. I think of Jean Weirum. I think of some of these names and how the times where I would go to try to encourage them, how they always encourage me. And so I just want to encourage you in that. Here's what Psalm 92:13 says. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. That's Anna right there. She's a Psalm 92 saint. Been planted in the house of God, flourishing bearing fruit in old age, fresh and flourishing. And maybe you're a lot younger. It doesn't matter what age or stage of life you're on. Maybe you're thinking, I just don't know how to, I don't know how to serve or what to do. Well, well, do you know how to pray? Because that's, that's the prominent thing that's highlighted here in verse 37. Or, or do you know how to talk? That's the other thing that's highlighted. She, she talked to other people. She was friendly. She talked to people about the things of the Lord. So if you know how to pray or you know how to talk, you can start there. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too busy. Or maybe you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm too tired to serve. I, I think if you had that conversation with Anna, she would say, hey, I'm 84. Quit complaining. <laughs> I've been in pain for decades. I've been living by myself for more than 60 years. Maybe you think what you're going through is tough, but let me tell you about the God I, I serve who has sustained me. Let me tell you about this God. Let me tell you about his redeeming grace that is there for those who look to it. He will sustain you. He will minister to you and through you as you minister. And, and she probably couldn't run programs or run around with kids. But I think she would say, hey, if I can do something, you can do something too. And so, looking at verse 38, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. Don't, don't underestimate praising God and to speak to him of all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's a wonderful pattern for the ministry, not just of people like her, but for all of us to be committed to the Lord's house, serving the Lord's people, thinking about who we can express thankfulness to and through for God's work in them, thinking about who we can encourage about the things of redemption, and to talk about Jesus and what he does for his people. She was a, a witness to all. That's another thing we can all learn from her, to, to speak to anyone who will listen and is looking for these things. So young ladies here, if you, want a, if you want a hero, don't look to the world. Don't, don't turn on the TV. Don't look at MTV, if people even watch that anymore. Don't, don't look at magazines or movies. Here's where you need to look. Look to this person in this text. Look to ladies in the church like her. We are blessed to have a bunch of Annas here, more than maybe any church I know of. Here's what 1 Timothy 5 says. Treat older women as mothers. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has grand, or children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and their grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone, listen to this language, she puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. That's a powerful ministry for the church. And it says church should support women. Women who do that, the widow who is, Paul even mentions, over 60 and has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds. So as Paul's thinking about the churches, those who, who've been faithful, who are well known for good deeds, bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. They're to be honored. They're to be supported in any way. And it also goes on to say, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. And especially in the first century, the financial needs of widows were great. If, if they didn't have family, the, the church became that family to support 
and to strengthen them. But here's what we need to think about as, as we look at all this. What do we want our life to be marked by? Decades from now, for those of us who have decades to come, or, or for those of you who may not have many years left, what do you want your final years to be like and to mark your life? For those who have children, it talks about the godly woman who raises them in the things of God. Those who serve others humbly, they don't need to be on stage. They're, they're happy to wash feed, it mentions. Serve behind the scenes. Being hospitable being friendly to people, uh, inviting people you don't know into your life in some way or your home, helping in distress when you can, being devoted to good works. That's the model that is laid out here for women like Anna, and she really becomes the prototype for the type of godly woman that Paul talks about in Timothy and Romans 16 and other places. He mentions someone who had been like a mother to him. He mentions these faithful women in the Lord and how we need to Encourage them. And Titus chapter 2 talks about how older women are to help younger women learn these things, to, to teach the younger women how to relate to their husbands, how to relate to their children, how to be respectful, and, and all those things that go with, with godliness. And, and I would encourage you, women of of any age, especially those who are, have not been walking with the Lord many years, to seek out another woman who's been walking with the Lord more than you for fellowship, for discipleship. I would also encourage you our, our heart-to-heart ministry that is starting up in very soon. We'll be sharing more maybe next week how we can be praying for that. We have some, some needs still for that ministry, which is a Titus II ministry, some moms ministering to the younger moms, but also even specifically with their children. We still need and can use some helpers, people who might be able to come in to help watch the children even just one Wednesday a month so that that ministry can take place, what Titus 2 calls for. And so we still have some needs. If you would like to serve in that way, you can talk with me afterwards or talk with Liz if you know Liz. Uh, We would love to get uh, some more ladies to, to help serve that ministry. But any other ideas and involvement you have, a, a care team, we're wanting to develop more in this way, uh, how we can serve others. You can let myself know. Donna Hall's been helping us in this area. You can talk with her as well with your ideas. But all of us, young and old, can emulate Anna. Let me just read a little bit more. Psalm 72. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. I think this is another psalm she would have known. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds, even when I am old and gray. Some of you could say amen. God, do not forsake until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all you who are to come. Some of you are, have been longing to be with the Lord, and, and I understand that, but I also understand that as long as the Lord has you here and, and breathing and alive, it's because He still has work for you to do. He has prayers for you to do, but also opportunities for you to minister and to encourage. Don't underestimate how much we need you, how we need you. And maybe... There's times where you reach an age or state where you can't do that as much. We can still pray, even as our voice fails, even as our health fails. And I've prayed this prayer specifically for for saints this year who are faltering and failing in their health. Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength. My heart, And I'll tell you, when you're looking at someone whose strength is failing and, and their heart is, is failing, to know that we can bank on that truth, that even if your flesh and your heart fails this day, God is your strength of your heart forever. John Angle James, I'll close with this, wrote a book called The Widow Directed to the Widow's God, and he has this little chapter on Anna. This is in 1841. But I think this is a good word for all of us. Withdraw your attentions from this world. 
Let it not distress you if you cannot be so vigorous in the service of God as you might want to or as once were. Do not be cast down if you cannot with the same attention or pray with the same length, fixedness of thought and fervor of emotion, or that you cannot remember as you once did. It is the decay of nature, but it is not the decline of grace. Rely on the faithfulness and unchangeableness of God. Rest on His promise. O aged saint, believe, believe, hold to the end by faith. Lay hold of God's strength to sustain you and and be as cheerful as you can in the process. Because the smiles of an aged Christian happy in the Lord are as beautiful as the rays of the setting sun. And he points us to this Lady Anna in Acts 2, sending forth notes of cheerful praise. And like good old Anna, when she came in and saw the Lord, gave thanks and spoke of Christ to those around her, we can all do likewise. So encourage people to put their trust in God and know that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. May God help us at all ages and stages of life to live in light of these truths. And all God's people, young and old, said, Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for how gracious you are and how you have sustained so many among us. And Lord, I am amazed even as I see the makeup of our our church, how many young ones and little ones we have and how many we have who are advanced in years and mature and, and senior and elderly and whatever terms you might use in your word, Lord, you have blessed us. And with so many in between, Lord, we are uniquely privileged in this church. Lord, I pray that you would encourage in particular those who are struggling, those who have concerns and suffering. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see that you have a way for them to minister to others. Help us to encourage one another and to minister to them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.